Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hello, everybody. We are live from New York City as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. At this hour, the practice of home staging has long excited, uh, elicited rather strong reactions. Agents and professional stagers point to example after example and say staging can usually help a home sell faster and for a higher price, offering a larger return on the staging investment. Homeowners reluctant to spend the money or admit that they are their decorating choices might not be uh, Uh, acceptable, so to speak, to buyers are often loath to pay strangers to impose their taste on their apartments. But as staging has evolved over the past decade, many real estate professionals say it has become more important and more sophisticated than ever. We will talk to an expert here in the studio this morning. Also at this hour, many affluent New Yorkers are staying out of the sales market and instead renting in some of the city's most expensive neighborhoods with the New York City home sales market slowing and plenty of uncertainty expected in the market in 2019. Some New Yorkers are asking themselves, why buy when I can rent? All of that and so much more this morning. Uh, But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, three months after going into contract on her Sag Harbor mansion, former model Christy Brinkley has officially offloaded the historic property of hers for close to its asking price of $17.99 million. The final sale price for the wood-shingled mansion at 1 Fahey's Road is still a steep price cut from the $25 million it sought when first hitting the market in 2016. Uh, Brinkley's 4.44 acre parcel subsequently took a price drop to 20 million in mid 2017, but still made a profit on the deal. She bought the waterfront home in 2004 for 7.15 million dollars. Listing brokers from Douglas Element declined to discuss the final sales price, citing a confidentiality agreement. Anthony Bourdain's tragic death from suicide in June of 2018 in France resulted in the inevitable, the sale of the world-traveling storytelling chef's New York City apartment at 40 East 94th Street. After being on the market since September of 18 and enduring a few price cuts, it appears there is a contract out, and this reported by the New York Post. The four-bedroom home with an additional library and bedroom in Carnegie Hill Tower was originally listed for $3.7 million dollars. But the apartment took two price cuts, the first down to $3.495 million in October of 18, and the second in early January of 19 this year to $3.3 million. The contract was signed in March. The number of billionaires around the world is shrinking, and so are their bank accounts. According to a new report, the global population of billionaires declined 5.4% to 2,604% billionaires in 2018. Their total net worth dropped 7% to $8.6 trillion amid market volatility and uncertainty over global trade. Anecdotally, brokers in New York City say Chinese buyers retreated from the market more than a year ago as it became increasingly difficult uh, to move money outside of their country. More recently, the Chinese buyer is basically on hold now until the U.S.-China trade deal is struck, said Compass's Leonard Steinberg. Luxury real estate in particular is already weighed down by excessive inventory, never mind the fact that the number of buyers is ostensibly shrinking. Realogy's market cap hit a new low of $967.4 million last Tuesday, dipping below $1 billion for the first time since the real estate conglomerate went public seven years ago. 
the New Jersey-based firm, whose brands include the Corcoran Group, Sotheby's International Realty, and Coldwell Banker, had a market cap of $3.3 billion just a year ago. On Tuesday, shares closed at $8.47, a 66.5% year-over-year drop from its $25.33. And citing slow slow sales in New York City, Douglas Elliman's losses weighed 28% during the first quarter, and the New York brokerage will be looking at substantial cost-cutting measures, according to parent company Vector Group. The brokerage, the largest in New York City, lost $10.4 million in the quarter, compared to an $8.1 million loss during the same period last year. The firm pulled in $161.9 million in the first quarter, uh, revenue up 1.5% from $159.4 million in 2018. And if that's not enough, after the loss reports came out last week, Manhattan's luxury market saw 25 contracts signed last week for a total of about $167 million, according to the latest report from the Olshan Group. Uh, the contracts signed at $4 million or above included 14 condos, 8 co-ops, as well as 3 townhouses. You know, it's interesting, the data goes up and down, who's losing money, who's making money, this percentage down, that percentage up. It's kind of like, you know, when you wake up in the morning, do we really understand what's happening in the marketplace? (laughs) I don't. (laughs) And then when I do research for the show every week, I get even more confused. But all I know... sobering numbers, but then we see the reality and things seem a little better. better, better. Right. And that's that's my point, because I'm I'm seeing things getting a little better. So I don't know all these these numbers, but I guess, you know, end of last year, beginning of this year, who knows? I'm slightly skeptical of any statistics because I feel like you can always slice and dice the data to support your point of view. 100%. Bit, you know? And by the way, not to pick on the two companies I picked on, but our, our, report <laughs> hey. is not, our, our report is not out yet, nor were a lot of others. And by the way, some of them are private, so you can't get those numbers. You don't know, but I can tell you my company is probably in the same boat as the others, um, according to Say the insiders so. at Halston. <laughs> so <laughs> everybody has the same issues this year. Market has been down, so it's yeah. understandable. Anyway, with us today is uh, Sean McPeak from Halstead, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, Ari Harkoff from Halstead, James Bruni back again from Douglas Elliman, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and our special guest today, Jason Sapp from Compass. We're going to talk to Jason a little bit, little bit this morning. He is our staging expert in addition to doing his brokerage work, which I don't know. I was talking to him before the show started this morning. I don't know how he or anybody finds all the time to do this, but good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, boys. He's so excited he's getting I'm choked so up already. Isn't that, something? <laughs> that was fast. Anyway, so the Jason Saf team is often called the magicians, and I want to peel that back a little bit because I think that's funny. Peel away. But armed with more than just cheap tricks up their sleeves, they possess an innate ability to pinpoint, assess, and fix flaws that others could not while tailoring their approach and skills to each other's individual needs and timeline. They will roll up their sleeves, not to mention take out your old carpets, to create tangible results with cost you know, cutting solutions. Now, listen, we have talked about renovations. We have talked about decorating. We have talked about staging on this program multiple times. And the theme is always, as I think all of us here would agree, that when you do this and when you talk your sellers into doing this, the success rate is just unbelievable and and usually, you know, a place will sell. And I think we all have examples of the befores and the afters. But Jason is the creator of Stage to Sell, a 30-point action plan that the team applies to all properties. So start us off a little bit this morning, Jason, with telling us exactly what those 30, that 30-point 30 action plan really is. All 30 points? All, no, not all 30 <laughs> points. You can summarize it for us. Three. Go for it. Um, you have it memorized? 
You know, <laughs> I probably should. Uh, his elevator pitch. It's on his little card. You know. You know, the the most important thing is is the walkthrough. And I, when I walk through the apartment, I I walk through it like a buyer, um, and I'm walking through Good it with point. a really critical eye, not. Critical in terms you of critical? <laughs> constructive <Mickey>. critical, <laughs> um, not critical in terms of of judging their decor, but critical in terms of what fundamental things are not working. Um, and so, you know, one example is we're just coming out of the winter season, but uh, post-war apartment, north facing, third floor, no view. There's no overhead lights. So how are you showing after work at 6 p.m. if there's no overhead lighting? Correct. Um, maybe the uh, parquet floors and you hear that creak the minute you step into the apartment. That's a problem. People feel it, it just immediately sounds dated. Do they go to open the closet door and there's a hollowed out gold doorknob that's 30 <laughs> years old? So there's exactly. these tactile things. So, you know, people often talk about staging and this sort of concept. Of I can the, so see him changing doorknob right. stuff. Yeah, oh, I like totally. <laughs> Cabinet hardware. <laughs> totally. All of it. Um, uh-huh. It, 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 it's those tactile qualities and those things that just immediately impact that first impression. Um, but before that walkthrough, especially a lot of the properties that I'm taking on are often the second. I'm either the second or third agent or I'm working with the second or third agent. Um, so the most important thing is creating those sort of visual moments that will ensure that more people are clicking on the listing to go and see it. Um you know, the way in which people look at and pick property is very different than it was 10 years ago. Um, in our sort of app-based culture, it's very much you have like three seconds before someone, you know, in theory, swipes right or swipes left. So what can I create that makes someone want to come and see this apartment? And I find, you know, again, being an agent who stages, and a lot of times when I'm at the open houses, I have people coming in who know artwork, they know moments, they know things in the apartment, and they're asking to see them as they walk in the door. Um, and I'm finding that's, you know, creating these sort of like visual experiences to increase traffic to the listing is the key component in addition to, you know, those immediate high impact changes that you can make that just alter the experience. For what I find really fascinating, Jason, is the fact that you are also an agent. You, so you, you, you know, you sell and you buy, you know, with your clients back and forth. You've been in it for a long time. You understand from a broker's, you know, eye and perspective what the deal is like all of us here do you know so when you go and you talk to your clients and you tell them what you need you're telling them from experience like you know selling new developments developer says to you so you know what's the foot traffic been like and by the way what are they really asking for and if they're planning a second project they <laughs> want to know what the feet on the street has been saying about the last time so we can improve it for the first, the next time mm-hmm. One of the things I do uh, remember always, and and I still go through it from time to time, when I'm talking to sellers, you know, it's always a cost thing. Mm-hmm. They get the fact that they need to um, to stage in, in some cases. Well, let, let's start with decluttering and then revamping and restaging. But it always becomes a cost thing. And so oftentimes they want to, you know, sidestep or sideswipe that, that stage of the process because they don't really want to come up with the money. So what do you say to them? And sellers out there, please pay attention. What do you say to them when they give you pushback on price? It's always, you know, again, when someone's trying to get out of an asset, the last thing they want to do is put more money into it. 
Um, so the way that I approach it is what are the most critical things that we need to do? And again, the, the perception of staging, of renting furniture, bringing things in, sometimes that's not the most necessary. Sometimes the key thing is painting, new lighting, changing out hardware. Um, a lot of the work that I do is often working with people's pieces. Um, and it's a really interesting <clears throat> dynamic because you're not telling someone we need to do all of these things. We need to bring in all of this. You need to spend all of this money. Um, right now, I'm prepping another unit for sale at 225 E74 Street. The entire concept of what I did in this home that people have lived in for 30 years was take, they traveled the world and had um, an Asian and English pottery collection, blue and white. And so the entire <laughs> apartment wow. has now been sort of the chic Upper East Side Art Deco, utilizing their pieces taking the things that they were going to get rid of, working with them to remove the pieces of furniture that are too big, too bulky, too dated. Um, overall, the cost was next to nothing in terms of painting um, and the transformation of what they're seeing in the apartment. And again, it's for a lot of people, especially someone who's living in the apartment and it's their home, we're not just talking about someone who moved into a space three years ago and is trying to flip it to make a return. When someone's lived in an apartment for 30 years and they're moving on to their next step in life, when someone's able to come in and say, let's work with all of these things that you right. have, let's turn your travels, your collection into these memorable, photographable moments, they love it. It's a very different experience. All right. We're going to talk more about all of that after the break. I want to talk about how you can incorporate their stuff, why you do so, and sometimes not, and also decluttering. We have to take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York. Uh, we are live from Blastoff Productions. This is, Good this is the Voice America Radio Network. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders, so you can move to what moves you. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. 
All right, everybody, we are back talking to Jason Saft, and he does uh, multiple things in his day, including staging. Let's talk a little bit about how you incorporate some stuff. You touched on it before the break, but how you incorporate some of the seller's things already in their apartment. But more importantly, you know, you walk into an apartment, I walk into an apartment, and the first thing I say is, all of this or most of this has to go. So beyond the decluttering stuff, you just look at some of the other and other things in there and say, well, this is just not going to work. None of it. How do you, what do you? You don't say that. (laughs) You don't say that. This is pretty honest. I hate your taste. You know, know, I usually just stand there and I kind of like do one of these things and they look at me eventually and say, what What are you thinking about? Right. Right. And I say, well, I'm not sure that this stuff is going to work. That's about all I'll say. But what's the mommy do? There ought to be a window where there ought to be. Get this out of here. Wow. Chilling. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think the if you walk into someone's home, right, and you say this all needs to go, it's done. Right. You're out the door with the furniture. You have to, and I think Mm. this, like for me, this is the fun. And it it also, you know, my family were all collectors. Mm -hmm. Every person in my family. From, from needle, like all of these objects, things that you've collected over time. So I understand someone's collections in their home. And you have to have a sensitivity when you're working in someone's home. And my job is to find something to make it interesting. And I think that's one of the differences. If you immediately tell someone everything has to go, you're, you're basically telling someone, like, your stuff isn't good. You don't have good taste. But if you finesse it mm. and talk about... Let's talk about changing these things because yeah. the lighting, the door, like start with those things, you start light and then you start to work with, and I usually really focus my time on the pieces that will cause a problem at a showing. Um, I just did a, redid a place on at 34 Gramercy Park East um, that had been on the market for six months. It had a giant circular brown couch in a third floor living room that was interior um, that basically... When you walked into the apartment, it was like someone put their hand up and said, don't come in. Because you couldn't walk through the... And it was like, I called it Snuffleupagus. It was that big. Right. In this elegant, beautiful pre-war apartment with like ornate details, but a giant round like 1970s, like Mill Basin, Brooklyn basement couch. Oy vey, as they say. What do you do with that? You get rid of that couch and I... Flip the entire configuration was the opposite of what it was. And then all of a sudden it became this expansive open living space. And again, it's if you start with the pieces and the purpose of how to transform the room to create a better showing experience, you don't get the same amount of pushback. But it's it's an art form in, in going into a complete stranger's home. Talk about the successes that you that you see happen uh, probably 100% of the time. Because anytime I have pushed forward, I have seen 100% success stories meaning they sell faster or faster than they've been, Mm -hmm. and usually they'll sell for more money. So what do sellers think after all of that? Um, Sellers love it. (laughs) They love being able to, you know, get the success that they want or they need. And again, it's interesting when a property has been on the market before because that's when someone truly and fully understands it. Um, Sometimes you get very lucky. You redo a property, you put it on market, and it sells automatically. And sometimes people think, um, oh, we gave it away. 
Um, whereas that's to me, the planning, the work, the execution of everything, if you've done it, but you know, when you've sold something for substantially more than it was asking before, or in that under 30 day period, or it gets offers or it's getting press and features on a property before that was getting no traffic, you know, automatically people know and sort of understand that that's the goal of it. You know, it's one thing looking at nice pictures on the internet when you're, you know, searching around and your broker sends you something and you look at the pictures and say, oh, okay, that, well, that looks good until you arrive. And then most of the time, oftentimes it doesn't look anything like, the apartment doesn't look anything like the pictures. Right. But when you're staging and you're paying attention to stuff and you're decluttering and you're moving things around and you're really making it look presentable, when you show up, it does look good. It and it, it 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 you know appeals very differently than you know anybody else walking into either an empty space or a space that has had nothing done to it for for thirty years. Yeah, and I'm finding too, you know, part of the what I do is also taking the information from showings where things have been virtually staged mm-hmm. and seeing firsthand the reactions of people walking into a space because, you know, virtual staging serves a place and it's great. I'm, I'm not against it. I use it at times. I'm sure. not a believer in it, but um, go ahead. But, yeah. you know, sometimes some of the virtual staging looks like, you know, like an Eastern European cartoon rendering <laughs> of an apartment <laughs> with, pieces of furniture that they logically cannot right. be in there Correct. or placed in places that they don't belong. And when you, some people go so far as to not just put furniture, but to alter um, the cooling systems, the windows, right. the floors. And that's, you know, again, when you're a broker and you're taking buyers or you're at the open house and you watch someone's reaction, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like a late night hookup shows up and they're 30 pounds heavier than in their picture. You're like, oh, you're not coming in. Like, I don't want to. You walk out the door. Uh, call the doorman. Send him back. Call the doorman. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. What is this? What happened? Like what I signed up for. Yeah. I mean, that's. I agree, though. I think, like, when, when buyers. Uh, you know, I, I think they have like a sixth sense these days. Like people definitely buy real estate way differently now than 10 years ago, like you were saying. And if there's something disingenuous about either you or the pictures or the apartment or something that you're not giving them clear answers for, they're going to walk. And there's a lot to mm-hmm. choose from right now. So you need to be very upfront with people. The reason I say I'm not a very big fan of virtual staging, and of course I've used it just like we all have to at times. It's not the optimal, but we but I have done it is precisely what you said, because sometimes the virtual staging will have a piece of furniture that really would not fit in the apartment. And so when people come in, and even though you put in bold letters in your text, this apartment was virtually staged, okay? So there's no misrepresentation. And they walk in and it's an empty room or an empty apartment. The problem with that, as we all know, is it shows smaller. So it might look mm-hmm. good, even even if it's done right virtually, uh, it looks good. And, and you know, it, it might bring somebody to the point of wanting to come and visit you at, the, at an open house or a private showing. But when they walk in, the effect is still the same. Oh, well, it just shows a little small. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's my only angst with virtual staging. I think it's it's fine if that's the only option you have and you and you need to bring people in or at least show them what they can do to a space. Absolutely. The problem is basically, you know, we can, you know, those of us who have vision because we've been doing this for a while and walk in an empty space and understand what goes on. But it's very difficult to try and teach someone else. And I use the word teach by <laughs> for a reason because you got to teach them to understand that you can do stuff in this empty room. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, uh, uh, a dead end zone here. You can put something here. You can put something there. 
if they don't see it in their mind, it's just not going to work. So oftentimes, if it's if it has furniture or if you can uh, stage it, uh, you're better off. But virtual staging is, um, you know, is okay if you really need to go go that route. It's better than nothing in a lot of cases if done properly. If, if right. done and if pro- done honestly and ethically, I think that's mm-hmm. the issue. Is where you Correct. know you have a windowless nook the size of an Altoid tin box and you put a king size bed with three pillows across and in a virtual picture. Well, and that's the thing. Misrepresent it. And and, and that's the thing. Well, you know what I've started doing is including uh, in the same exact photo order the unstaged or unvirtually staged. So I front load the pretty pictures and then I include everything else so that people know what they're getting. Don't walk in and blame me. Look at all the photos and read the text. I actually substitute They'll look at the photos and not read the text. I the pretty picture then the same room unstaged. That's that's, no. It's it's less better, Jordan. It's more intuitive to the buyer, I found. In my experience, I found. Do you have a message for agents out there? Because we got a lot of brokers that listen to this uh, program here in New York City. So do you have a message for agents out there when they are faced with the dilemma? Of course, they're going to call you to come in and help them. But but what what is the advice you give them in initial conversations with their sellers over what they really should do or need to do to better present their property? So the, one of the things that everyone can do is start small. And it's really easy to take spaces like a bathroom or a kitchen and make changes there cost-effectively. And you can also often take the things from your own home or start to acquire accessories that you can use. And I find that's one of the easiest ways to show a seller how you can create change. Um, Again, especially Manhattan bathrooms, they tend to be very small, antiseptic, Mm -hmm. cold. You put, again, you have to look at your price point. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's a $7 shower curtain I often get on Amazon that's a giant rubber duck. If you're selling a starter apartment, Alcove Studio, for $7, put a giant rubber duck shower curtain in a really boring, old, dated bathroom. It's just fun. Someone walks in and smiles. Hand soap, a candle, trash can. It's like unexpected. So they, little, it's pleasing. Yeah, yeah I mean, again, at the end of the day, depending upon what you're selling, you're, you're selling a home. Like, people want to be happy in their home. They want to smile. They want something unexpected. Another thing is just a Bluetooth speaker. Put some music on at a showing. Like, sometimes when you're in an empty apartment, and it's just sad and depressing and there's not a lot of lighting. Like just a little bit of background noise can help a showing. Um, those are all small things that we can invest in. You know, again, a lot of us go back to brokerage of the days of, you know, you had ad budgets for the New York Times Correct. and things like that. I, you know, advise a lot of people and instead of some of those things, invest in your business and your listings. Maybe start to buy some inexpensive art picture frames. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things we can all do on our own. And if you're having an issue with the seller and trying to get them to put money into staging, once you start doing it, it's a much easier conversation to have because you're able to show them that you're doing it, you're investing, here's the feeling, here's the difference, and a lot of them will, it'll help shift the dialogue. What is easier to stage, in your opinion, a pre-war apartment or a post-war or or a new development type thing? What 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 is easier for you to go in and visualize and, and then to get done? Or does it not matter? Um, the The building type doesn't really matter to me. Um, what I do like is making a post-war apartment feel really rich and warm and detailed. I think they're sort of like the unsung Correct. heroes. I mean, again, how long have we all been working? No one ever says like, you know what? I really want to see a white brick building <laughs> with parquet <laughs> floor. Said no one ever. So, <laughs> said no one ever. Oh, brother. So t- to me... <laughs> Doing something in a post-war building that gets someone to say, no, 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 I want to see that, that to me is like the ultimate because it's the one that 
typically everyone says, like, I don't want to see anything in a white brick building. I agree. Right. All right. When it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job. Odds are that person is where? LinkedIn. LinkedIn jobs make it easier to get matched, get matched and quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. LinkedIn jobs use knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match with you with the people who fit your role best. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their career so LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than just a resume. Your LinkedIn job matches are based on skills and background, sure, but also interest activities and passions. Matching lets you quickly Get a group of the most relevant, qualified candidates for your role. That way, you can focus on candidates you want to spend time talking to and make a quality hire you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires. So post a job today at LinkedIn.com slash Vince and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash Vince. Terms and conditions will apply and we will be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're here with Sean McPeak from Halstead, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, Ari Harkoff from Halstead, James Bruni from Douglas Elliman, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and Jason Saft is going to stay with us. He's from Compass as well. Boy, a Douglas Elliman heavy show today, right? What? 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 <laughs> All right. So, as I talked about at the top of the show, many affluent New Yorkers are staying out of the sales market and instead renting in some of the city's most expensive neighborhoods. With the New York City home sales market slowing and plenty of uncertainty expected <clears throat> in the market in this year, 2019, some New Yorkers are asking themselves, why should I buy when I can continue to rent? 
Now, as I said also at the top of the show, you know, it depends on the day, depends on the article, it depends on a lot of things. The market is either this or that. But the rental market has gotten stronger uh, in the last three to four, maybe five months. So what's with that, guys? What, what's Why are people saying I'd rather rent than buy? Yeah, I have a client right now that I'm dealing with um, and where we found a place in Soho. It's a very expensive rental. The owner, he owns, owns a couple of different apartments, and one of the reasons why he decided to rent is because it's super, he's super flexible. Instead of owning, you're kind of fixed in a certain area. He just wants to get around and, and check out different neighborhoods, Soho, Tribeca, um, the West Village. So having that flexibility where he can go kind of one year to the next and really get to get a feel for different areas is, is something that this particular person is looking for. And I think I've been hearing a lot about that, people coming into the city or even people who have been here want to test out neighborhoods yeah. yes mm-hmm. yep. back in the day you know when i i thought i was a pioneer because i've lived in a, a bunch of neighborhoods and my agent my broker before i was in the business used to yell at me pick one just pick one and stay in one <laughs> she was a piece of work but <laughs> at the end of the Literally. day now i'm starting to hear a lot more of testing of neighborhoods well and it's a lot of empty nesters i've found who have been like exactly. they're committed yeah, to yeah, a specific suburban. area they raise yeah. their kids they send mm-hmm. them to school and all of a sudden this is their <clears throat> like their second youth and they're in their late 50s, early 60s and they have so much vitality and they want to experience New York again. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They want to move around and they like it. It's we fun. just did a deal like that. We had a couple from the Upper West Side uh, get a loft down in Soho just closed a few weeks ago and they, they're having like a second New York youth renaissance right. like exactly what you're describing. And, and they have money to do it. I, yes. I saw a report exactly. from Jonathan Miller that is there's this phenomenon called glamping where listings over $10,000 a month are have increased 20 to 30% over the last few months. So they're coming back, they're ditching their suburban houses, they're saying, we're going to have a great time here and we're going to choose where we want to be and sample. Okay. There's a lot of uncertainty in the market. People just filed their 2018 taxes, so they're coming to terms with the reality of the impact of tax reform on home ownership. And I think people right. are saying, like, the rental market is soft, there are concessions, the friction involved in renting is less than it once was. Totally. There's uncertainty in the sales market. We don't want to commit. I mean, we have a bunch of sellers right now who are actually selling and then renting because they're not sure what they want to do next. And I think the market is heading. Correct. I have that, too. But, you know, my my question always goes back to, you know, simple. So what about, you know, what about the empty nesters who are coming in from the Mm -hmm. suburbs selling a house? They have been homeowners for many years. It's not like they're first timers. Why don't they just want to? go from one to the next and kind of invest. And just the sales market in general, um, you know, for any any age or any, you know, for a second time, third time buyer, whatever, they seem to be sort of passing up on the buying a piece of the rock, you know, syndrome more today than they have in the past. And so I'm sort of kind of wanting, wondering, what is it about? I mean, well... I, I get I, I get the testing of neighborhoods. That's a biggie, and, you yeah. know. And tax laws and, tax and laws of uncertainty. It's uncertain, a lot of different factors. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Tax and laws have crippled the market, yeah. Primary residents being in Florida or or no income state income tax. Well, Florida's there's, there's, become a there's, very there's big primary residence. There seems to be no shortage residence. of surprises in 2019. I think uh, the transaction taxes, the mansion tax increase on the Absolutely. You know, above two million dollars was a total curveball. I don't think any of us saw. I, it. I agree. Mean, we were we were discussing pied de terre tax, that and was it was like supposed to be a compromise yeah. of the pied de terre tax. That was like right. a backroom deal. Was laughable. Who knew that? We we discussed this every week, and we right. none of us that was not none of our radars. Total curveball to it use was. your your expression because it really was, and and I think people are still not necessarily over it. And of course, you know that's for anything closing after July first. But but what's next? If you're I not in contract by now. 
now. Forget it. I think exactly. a lot of it, all, everyone we're describing is kind of like what's next, like what what policies or you know rate increase or whatever is going to happen that's going to affct the. Well, I think the overall uncertainty. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. I that's think, the thing. I think yeah. the overall uncertainty in in everything in this in this country these days or in the world these days it sort of keep, you know puts people in the back burner saying, well, wait a minute, you know, I just don't know what to do at the moment. Some, and I, we speak to, <clears throat> and I'm sure you all do, they have intentions of wanting to purchase or get, <clears throat> get into the next thing, but they're a little afraid because they don't know. Yesterday's stock market down 612 points. That's not making people run out the door to buy with a checkbook in hand. Even though necessarily. overall it's up, but it's the seesaw impact. It's the seesaw, the volatility. It's the volatility. It's the perception. It's the volatility. I mean, right. we're up, you know, 30% since Trump was elected, but it's totally the seesaw 30%. aspect of it that's scary about it. Absolutely. I think, I was because say, you one, just one, don't know what may happen next. That's the problem. Yeah, and I think one other quick point. So, you know, there's always that, like, basic business school study where you put a consumer in front of three objects and you ask them to purchase them and they make a decision. And then you put them in front of 30 objects and they can't make a decision. Yeah. Part of what's happening right now is you see more inventory in the market. <laughs> totally. And because Great there's more point. inventory, people are overwhelmed. And because they're overwhelmed, they actually make no decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Correct. all being said, going back to what we said at the beginning of the show, I don't know about you guys. I feel like we're seeing an increase in traffic and not just for the yeah, million. And we under. are. And so there's all these steps. Stats and facts, right. and yet people are still actually buying now more, and not just under the under million mm-hmm. mark, which I'd seen up till now. And yeah, I rates mean, I th- are low. I think we we decry the market so much as being negative. I, I don't actually think it is. I think that it just takes longer. Mm-hmm. The activity is there. We're I'm sure. as busy as I've ever been. Likewise, showing, 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 mm-hmm. taking people out. People just transact at a slower rate. Mm-hmm. They're more educated. Because they can. It's taken can. sellers a longer time to kind of understand that maybe they do have to lower their expectations with pricing. I took out a buyer uh, yesterday that we show, we saw a property in November that is still in the market, finally came down from 2.65 to 2.5. When I was talking to the broker a couple of months ago, she goes, that's really, she won't sell for, for less than 2.5. Now, that was our drop. And then yesterday, she was like, no, please, make an offer. So, like, right. finally, you know, six <laughs> yeah. months, okay. Yeah, it's recalibrating expectations. I was emailing with a seller this morning, and she was saying, you know, well, I don't know, maybe we'll wait another week or so, and then we're going to put the apartment in the market for rent. And I said to her, we've been in the market for 48 days. Average time on the market right now is 120 days exactly. in Manhattan. A week is not going to make sure a difference. Like, yeah. we need to take our time if you want to sell this property. 120 days, four months. But I think a good tip that, that Ari talks about is how the, the seller would go from being a seller to also putting it on the market for rent. I'm seeing a lot of that. And yeah. there's a lot of inventory. If you can't find what, if you're representing a uh, someone looking to rent an apartment, if you can't find anything, try going to some of those sellers. And that's where I've saw, seen some um, some success is going to the listing broker and say, hey, would your seller consider renting? And that's how sure. I'm doing a deal right now because of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I'm talking to a seller right now at the moment as well. And, you know, some people, and it's, what I'm finding is people who haven't been on the market in a long time, okay, and this particular individual hasn't been on the market for a long time. They've owned this apartment. Actually, they two of them combined together. And we're sort of at a stalemate in pricing because they're about three to $400,000 higher than what I'm telling them they could potentially get. <laughs> and so I'm not so sure that that will get listed soon or if at all because, you know, they want what they want. And I see there are still pockets of uh, individual sellers out there who – whether they understand the marketplace or not, they just have a price in their head, and that's what they want. Uh, and especially if they've done a renovation, which happened here, uh, and somehow they need to recoup all these expenses. Although, you know, when you do the math, they will still come out way ahead based on the numbers I gave them yesterday or the day before. 
uh, who knows? You know, I don't know where that's going to go. Well, eventually you've got the time on one axis and money on the other. So if you want to move it quickly, you're going to work on your price. If you want what you want, then it can take a year, two years, however long. Well, right? the problem so is, in some cases, <clears throat> there's not, there isn't that timeline. There is no gun to the head. You know, right. it's there's no nice. Rush. There's no, no rush. rush. Right. If I sell it at my price, that's I'll great because I'll buy get. something after. Yeah. You know, whatever. My price is my price. Right. Yeah. And my, my price, price is, is my price. price. I'll sell it when and I sell. That's part of what protects mm-hmm. the New York City market is the depth of affluence here is so different from anywhere else in the country. It's true. That people just don't sell if they can't get their price. So you're not going to see a forty percent price decline. The buyers are on the sidelines waiting for it, but it's not going to happen. And, and the happen. fact that we're predominantly mm-hmm. cooperative still, and boards won't allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah, that's the a, other thing, too. Boards are becoming even more difficult yeah, than we've talked are. about on the I just had a uh, contract. We got rejected, and uh, they wanted $50,000 more on the contract, so we had to increase the – you know, 50000 Wow. fifty grand from 135 to one four. And Unbelievable to me. Co-op board. Sorry, co-op, co-op board. board. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Side. And then you're not even the sell. It's a gut co-op. It's a gut. Made the adjustment. Yeah, they, yeah. We just okay. got our board interview yesterday, uh, but we actually we actually structured it um, so the the seller actually gave back almost a fifty thousand dollar credit. Mm-hmm. We had the equal at the closing right. cost at, sure. at the closing right. table, which you know is a win for us. So, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, usually, you know, you would expect, and we all have been doing this for a while, that the boards would be a little more sensitive to what's going on out there. But in fact, they become even more difficult. And it's always about the integrity of the prices in the building. I deal with one building all the time, as you all know, and it's a condo, and they're excruciating, excruciating. The board is absolutely ridiculous because they just hold on to what they want per foot. That's it. Well, and, and they don't and realize how they're hurting individual sellers who need to sell. Very true. Um, but also, in fairness to boards, they really help stabilize Absolutely. after Absolutely. the financial crisis. Well, it's always so a conundrum. It, I mean, it's always, it is. you know, it's, you it's, just don't know where to but They have a it. long view of things. And yeah. we have such Absolutely. a narrow transactional snapshot view. I mean, we talk about the volatility in the market, and everybody's yeah. really upset because it dropped 600 points. But overall, it's up. You know, I mean... We right. want our and individual transaction to do well, mm-hmm. but overall, they're protecting the building, and frankly, they're doing all of us a very big favor. Absolutely, because since you just mentioned the integrity of the, I mean, Sean, we've all done what you've done with this scenario, but so is that really a true comp at 1.4? No, it's really 1.35 because the seller credited it back. So talking about if that's a comp that then others are based on, it's not completely spot on, right? I mean, we've all done it. You have to do it. But. Yeah, they, they got upset because the same exact line, uh, three floors higher, renovated, went in the contract for like one nine five. So they, you know, they all of a sudden they had a problem with our price and bounced it back. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, price you know. is what the market bears. You know. Exactly. Right. Sorry, co-op board. Like that's exactly. the reality. <laughs> well, they won this time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that that's but that's a very good yeah, point, exactly. Ari. But you know what? <laughs> they, but they, yeah, but like try telling the board that. I mean, you're right. That that the market can only bear what the market could bear. But I've I've heard some boards say to sellers, then don't list right now. Oh, yeah. They create illiquidity in their buildings. They create an illiquid asset in their building. And eventually they build a reputation that people don't want to buy in their buildings over the long term. Correct. And so, you know, you got to kind of go with the flow. But uh, we have to – that's why we have to, you know – polish up our, our, you know, elevator pitch and talk to our sellers and try and make sense and keep always when it's a co-op the board in mind. All right, we have to take a break. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will come back after the break. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com 
At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back to segment four. four and Sean McPeak is here, Tracy Hammersley, Jordan Shea, Ari Harkoff, James Bruni, Niall Lundgren, and Jason Sap, boy, a laundry list this morning. Isn't that something? Anyway, in 1978, this is this is a fun story. In 1978, well, not so fun. A ragtag <laughs> band of artist residents, artist residents of Soho's 45 Crosby Street, won what New York uh, Times called an impressive victory. The city's Department of Housing and Preservation and Development had granted the former industrial building's title to its residents in exchange where well, they were they were renters, and then they they deeded the the building to the residents in exchange for merely. The sweat equity of getting it up to code, estimated cost in the, at those in those days, one hundred sixty-four thousand dollars, which was nothing in today's market, making it the city's first loft building exclusively set aside for low-income artists. Okay, so years ago, Lower East Side, downtown Tribeca area, you know, Soho-ish, all artists. Was this the advent of the AIR? That's there, the yes. artist in residence. Yes, correct. Exactly right. Now, a twenty-one hundred <clears throat> square foot loft, after all of these years owned 
by the person who it was deeded to. Um, it became home to this artist, you know, back there. Is on the market asking $3 million. Okay, mm-hmm. so people are saying, what the hell is with this artist in residence stature? And why is it such a dilemma? And where do we go from there? Now, I can tell you we don't have too much of that, unfortunately, left because a lot of those buildings have been converted to condos and stuff through the years. But in this particular case at 45 Crosby Street, someone who's been living there probably 30-plus years is going to be getting $3 million or close to $3 million for the sale of the loft he or she paid nothing for. What's the deal? And why is the artist in residence so... Touching. Artists don't even want to live in Soho anymore. Well, that's true. And and what artists well, they really can't afford? Yeah, they can't afford it. Yeah, afford it. Does they can't afford it. The incoming buyer have and, to also qualify. And that's as part of the artist. problem. Everybody, yeah. yeah. There's like, there's I like sold a whole something. Scam to do that. That. It depends on the building, savvy. but yes. I sold one. I think it was four seventy seven Broom, mm-hmm. and the luckily my buyer uh, had a trust fund, but also um, was an artist, so it actually worked out. I didn't really have a, a problem with it, but. That would restrict the sale to other people in, in this particular case. That's so. There's a very limited pool who could buy from that three well, million. Well, it, it right? expands because people people like pretend they're artists and you know create a profile. There's criteria. I don't remember what the criteria yeah, is, but yeah, they do. Works or yeah, relax, something like yeah. that. But, but it is building to building. So some you have to declare artist and residence and, so, and and I mean at these prices, how many artists you know true artists can afford three million or or even more? I mean this is kind of low for a Soho loft these days, but I mean. I guess people can pull it off. In some cases, you know, um, developers have purchased the building, satisfied the uh, artist and residence situation, and then converted them. I worked on a building in Brooklyn Heights, 20 Henry Street. Right. Uh, that was definitely artist and loft uh, situation, and it took years before my developer bought it to con- get that converted to regular rental. And then when he purchased it, it was all done. And part of that building, it was the old um, mint factory, candy mint factory, at the candy factory, I think it was called. Uh, but you know, back in the day, that was uh, that was all artists and residents. So today, it's a very, it's still a very touchy situation. You know, when you're talking to buildings and people who live downtown, and I often wonder why, after all this time, people still get really charged up about it. And it's it's like a minority class, I guess, and so people get really charged uh, up in what capacity? They get upset that people want to put artists out of their homes in, in, in a lot of cases. In this particular case, he's selling. Yeah, this guy right. is God selling. bless him. That's so, a great American exactly. dream. I mean, I th- I I mean, that is an American dream. We, yeah, have to, we do have to remember for the, the selling side and the person who's selling it for $3 million, it's it's not like they were, you know, bought this loft and were hanging out at the Nespresso Cafe having like a Greek yogurt. Like this was a <laughs> was dangerous, dangerous, scary. Then. 100%. Like, we wouldn't yeah. have these neighborhoods if people didn't pioneer them. I think Agreed. to okay. me, the where it becomes an issue now is specifically more in terms when you have people renting who do not qualify as low income if you do some digging into their taxes and are able to sort of skirt the system and are taking away from affordable housing. I think that's where there's a real issue um, and it's coming to light as a lot of them have been airbnb their lofts and then as like mm. the taxes are going through are getting caught. I think that's where there's a real issue. But I don't know. I feel like someone we should be applauding these people who, you know, 30 years ago took these spaces yes. mm-hmm. and are now able to to cash out and created these neighborhoods. Listen, as we said at the, at the, with the story, you know, blood, sweat and tears, sweat equity to, to convert these buildings all on their own. 
uh, and they would deed it to them, and they they put the work in to get them up to code and up to standard. And by the way, you know the original you know lofts were basically just live workspaces. So they they were right. mostly their their studio. They had a little bit of a kitchen and a little bit of a bathroom. That's it. I mean, we're not talking about these these gorgeous sumptuous lofts that we all walk in and out of on a on a weekly basis in the downtown neighborhoods. I mean, they were like you said, dangerous and and sketchy when you walked out the door, and uh, you know not so great. But they put in their time, and why not get three million dollars if they can? I think, God bless you. Go, go after it. Go for it. You know, do it. Whatever. All right. Buyers in new developments often feel powerless when it comes to getting management, management after the fact, to address unexpected issues. But that power is uh, within their reach. So why is it so difficult? And um, what is the recourse? So in other words, you buy a new new condo development and you move in, you close, and a new building is going to be a new building is going to be a new building. I mean, my parents built our house when we were younger, and you know it was a new construction, and there were problems for years, right? With settling and walls cracking and this and that. I mean, these happen in in buildings in New York as well. People get all charged up again with the managing agents. Like, what do you expect? You're buying a brand new. I, I hear things like, "Well, I boy, I spent two or three million dollars on this brand new condo, and I don't expect to have any issues." Well, guess what? Usually, the developers always trying, a punch list. Yeah, usually the developers trying to distance themselves. They're usually trying to distance these. They want to run when it's other. all done. Yeah, right. the, I'm not the developer. Yeah, I'm not the manager. You know, right. property manager. That's usually that's. But it, the managing agents, pointing. though, who take over when when new buildings convert, it, it, they also don't want to oh, deal right. with stuff. Eighteen that's months later, they don't want to have anything. I would actually over. disagree. We have an excellent property manager. My sister and I bought brand new construction. That yes, a year and a half later, we are still dealing with them bench list items on the building wide level. That um, our property manager, who is with Halstead, actually has been amazingly responsive. It's a small group of us that get together. We have a Google group. You live in a Halstead we, building? Um, two, actually, in fact. No, the one I do Chelsea know. Chelsea and, and, and uh, Gramercy. And um, she's been very instrumental in working with the sponsor and very responsive to us. And it's it's been a real pleasure that we've seen, um, nice. you know, things from like upgrades in the gym to, uh, you know, things that were heating in the lobby for the doorman during the winter to just, you know, even basic hand soap and everything in the common bathrooms and different policies and procedures that have been effective. So not everyone is not you know, is, is unresponsive, but I think if, you have to go back inex- to the right yeah. if they're inexperienced though, it can be, it can be a real headache. Like mm-hmm. if they have a brand new super for instance, and he's dealing mm-hmm. with punchless items, straddling between the developer and the managing and it, supers know, don't be, really, you know, have punchless experience. I mean, I'm no. going through that at the Claire right now. They, I mean, they just don't, I mean, it's the contractors, but like you, somebody just said, you know, the, the developers want to run when the building is turned over and the closing start and, and you know, that's I, it. I would say that I uh, was able to purchase in 2012 in a Toll Brothers building, mm-hmm. and they were very good. Uh, well, they they well, are well, very good. We had a, a one-year warranty. They are very good. And they actually came and fixed stuff after that one-year warranty. So it really is just dependent but on But that's, quote-unquote, a real developer. Sure. Right. Who With not, experience on a national right. level. It's not right. a namby-pamby like they – you know, so like there, are there are distinctions. Yeah, yeah, now we're going to run away. Yeah. Yeah. Would you guys want to be a developer? I mean, the default is if things are not being addressed, that you sue, that you pull your funds, that you get a big name attorney yeah, and you go I, after the developer. I wouldn't switch places with Toll Brothers. I'm going to just ride this whole Halstead thing out. <laughs> 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 well, I do exactly. think that's there part, you of, go. part of our job is, is guiding people to the right building. That is, explaining that yeah, and managing that. And when you take them to new development, believe me, it's all of our job to set the expectations. What has their past experience been? Um, and then once you're in, if you're having an issue with the managing agent, you have to be an active part of the board 
to maybe look at maybe it's not the right managing agent. You know, some of these companies are too big and there's, I've had amazing experiences with property managers. You have to, that's part of our job. All right. Listen, that's unfortunately it for us today. That's the broadcast. Thanks for joining us. Ellen DeGeneres says, sometimes you can't see yourself clearly until you see yourself through the eyes of others. And Charles Darwin says, it is not the strongest of the species that survive, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. So be kind to one another, everybody. And for all of us at Voice America all around the world, Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Think Vince. He sent that Think message Vince. on his Goodbye, library. everybody. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 